What is your killer strategy? The one that gives your business the ultimate bulletproof competitive advantage. Welcome to Your Advantage Play with your host, Joel Block. Former professional blackjack player and card counter who left Las Vegas and spent his life in that giant casino on Wall Street in the hedge fund and venture capital businesses. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. What am I doing wrong? And I'm not talking about you talking to your spouse. I'm talking about what are you doing wrong in your business? It turns out the statistics tell us that there are at least three issues where you probably are not on the mark. It might be assumptions that you make. It might be facts that you rely on, or it could be strategies or something else. Sometimes the best way to fix this is to ask more people for more help. And sometimes this is referred to as servant leadership. To discuss this and open our mind to something new, welcome to Your Advantage Play, Kurt Euler. Kurt, hey, welcome thanks to for show. having me. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. So uh, it seems to me like this is sort of a uh, kind of a modern kind of management method because a lot of older people have this command and control kind of thing. And turns out maybe the command and control thing, as you're pointing out, uh, we don't get it right. So uh, what is this whole modern thing about? Yeah, I mean, the, the the term was basically, I mean, we've we've always seen servant leaders throughout history, but as it was coined in the 70s, but it's seen this big emergence in the last few years. And it's one of the reasons, I mean, I think I've been successful at things is I was that authoritative hierarchical boss that told people what to do. And I screwed up a lot of things because of it. And as opposed to like, there's a different way to lead. And it's like, hey, if you want to, if you want to grow a company by like 5% or 10% a year, go be that authoritative boss that tells people what to do and micromanages them. You want people to go to war for you when you want to grow 50% a year, 10x a business in a couple of years. You need people that are going to go to war with you and not just show up for 40 hours. And that like nobody's going to do that just for a paycheck. They have to love you and think you love them. Yeah. Well, so you know, I, I kind of think uh I kind of think in terms of cause that that if a business has a bigger purpose, then people get aligned on that. Um, is that what you're talking about? Are you talking about a management style? It's much more, it's, it's both. I mean, a company does have to have a cause and the cause needs to be more than just making money. It, you know, it's serving clients and and, and specifically how you do that. But, um, but it, it does, it really is how you approach things. And so, um, I mean, as a, as a leader, you have to set direction for the team. You need to get buy-in from people. Those of us like you that have built, built successful companies and investment companies, we know that like it's it's better to go slow to go faster later. Get everybody on board and bought in, but but a hierarchical leader doesn't take the time to do that. They just tell people this is the mission and they they go hard charging for it, and 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 you end up with chaos when that happens. And so it is it is getting people on the same mission, but it is really much more of that leadership style. Um, I mean, if you go back to me 15 years ago, I would have told everybody in the team, VPs and below, like here's exactly what they're doing. Now I go to people like Tiffany on my team. She runs an, uh, an external software company for us. And I give her the outcomes we're trying to achieve. And, and, and I'm much more, I coach her through where we're going. And I, I let her come up with those plans. And I, I'm making her better every day because she comes up with better ideas than I do, frankly. And that's that's not what a hierarchical leader does. A hierarchical leader says, do this or get out. Because there's always basically, you're fired if you don't do what I say in, in the authoritative old style. Yeah. Yeah. Um- how do uh, 
How do those? Uh, my my guess is that a lot of these old time leaders that lead in in this hierarchical way that you're talking about, um, it's because they don't really trust the people that are subordinate to them. That that's my guess. And how do they uh, how do they become more trusting, or how do they you know really just kind of feel good about delegating to people higher levels of authority? Yeah, I I think there's there's two parts to it. One is I mean. You do have to be vulnerable. It's like, hey, how do you get close to your spouse? You have, or some, you know, a friend. You have to be vulnerable and, and risk getting hurt. You have to risk, you know, your team not making the right decisions by trusting them to make more decisions without you. Um, and so there is that. But but for me, it starts at hiring. And so I, you know, like a lot of times people just hire. They're looking for that person that is just like they're. You want a marketer? You want a salesperson? You're going to go get the killer. That that's what they do. I'm looking for good athletes that like. I've hired CTOs and put them in as head of sales organization for international companies. And they do baller jobs at it because I hire for traits versus their skills. But I'm hiring for people that are really good at for at, at healthy confrontation. I mentioned, you know, looking for things like it's different when like you go hire good engineers versus you hire still good engineers, but people that have a bias towards action. They're not waiting for somebody to come tell them, hey, how do we go solve this problem? They're coming to you with solutions and saying, hey, I've already worked on this problem that the team has. Like that stuff that you can't, I can't light that fire underneath somebody. I can help direct it, but you have to do that at the hiring perspective, at the hiring side. So it's a lot easier for those of us that come in and, and as an executive coach, in some cases we can clean house. But but if, if you're an individual leader, if you're a CEO, like it starts with who you're hiring today. Hey, just um, just double check. Uh, so do you have direct reports in, in your yeah. role? Yeah, in every role. How many, how many do you have? Now, um, a couple of dozen. I've had as many as 1,100 people working for me underneath. Yeah. I just, I just want to make sure. I'm just, I, I, let me just tell you the reason I asked the question. I just want to make sure uh, that you're not a theoretical person, that maybe you write <laughs> books and you talk on the subject and you've never really ever done anything before because uh, there are lots of people who couldn't lead a campfire girl to a campfire. And, oh. and, and yet they're telling people how to do things. I, I just want to double check. I love that question. No, I mean, I, I, when I was 14, I had to start two LLCs because I had enough employees. The government was going to make me file taxes. So like, I've been a good, I, I what, people ask, what do I do? And I'm like, I'm an operator. That's what I am. And so my leadership style has changed over time, but I build companies. I sell things. One of those companies that I started when I was 14, I sold for six figures. It was lawn care. It wasn't that sexy, but I went to college and I sold it for six figures. And so like this is this is what you do. And for me, do I have to work? No, but I believe in growing new leaders. And for me, like I love advising. I love coming in as kind of an outside coach, but I know there's no better way to help somebody grow than to actually work work for, for them or work with them. Because like that's a different style of working than just being like a mentor or a coach. You like people get to see how I show up at work for the good and the bad. And that changes their life and their careers. Yeah. Well, I, I, lo I love that. Let's stay on this topic of servant leadership because I'd like to dig in a little further because I have a feeling that uh, a lot of listeners of our show uh, could probably benefit from a little, uh, you know, a little attitude adjustment or a style adjustment. And they probably could adapt or adopt some of the traits, tricks, or maneuvers that you're talking about. So, uh, when we were talking before the show, you said you always end meetings in a certain way. Tell us what that way is, because I think that might influence some more of our discussion. 
Yeah, I try to always ask, especially my one-on-ones, I always ask one or two questions, if not both. I ask one, everybody one, what am I potentially wrong about right now in the business? And then I also ask, what am I not paying attention to or what am I missing that that, that I should be paying attention to? Because often somebody, an engineer might see some dashboard and some subsystem going on and they know there's alarm bells going off, but they don't raise it up. And, and you want to know those fires well ahead of time. But I'm really confident on that first one of, I know that there's at least three things I'm wrong about in my business today. And if I'm honest, there's probably at least three things I'm wrong with in my relationship with my wife as well. But she's not wrong with you, by the way, just, just to well, be clear. Know, I'm wrong. I'm right to be with her, but I'm showing <laughs> up in ways where I'm making bad decisions, maybe. No, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that, uh, that, that the, the three don't apply to her. They only apply to you, right? Oh, no, no. She's right. She's right all the time. <laughs> 100%. So... See, any of your meetings by asking people for feedback, I mean, that by itself uh, is not authoritarian. You know, I mean, that by itself, it involves people, it draws them in. And what does that do for people's attitude about their about their relationship with you and the company? It makes a, a much safer space for them to come to me or others when they have a problem, uh, when they're not searching about an answer. Um, or like what I really like about people is, Hey, so often the smart people on my team, they have a gut feeling about something that they can't quite articulate as a problem yet. And, and that's actually what I want to hear from them. I want the, I like, I want Tiffany, my team, I want Joel that runs DevOps. When before do they know it's a problem, they're still trying to figure it out. I love it if they'll bring that up to me because then we can try to walk through that ether together to figure it out. And so by me saying, hey, I might be wrong about things, it gives them the freedom to go, well, you can come to me as well and say, Hey, I may have made a bad decision um, or I'm thinking about making this decision and I'm uncomfortable about it. And, 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 and like, that's a conversation that's better, especially like you asked before, like, like a lot of people don't trust who they work for or who they hire. And I'm like, why did you hire them then? Like if, if you hire smart people, why would you not trust them? Why would you not want them to grow and be better for your company? Because if you're making all the decisions, they're never going to grow. So what happens when you're the CEO of that $10 million a year company and you get hit by a bus, you get sick, your wife gets cancer. If you don't show up then and you haven't been growing your leaders, your business just fell apart. Yeah. So what um, what, are, what are some ways that people can uh, adjust their style uh, to be a little bit more collaborative, helpful? I mean, I mean, what I'm kind of hearing is collaboration. You know, the servant thing maybe is more collaboration and, and that's not as fancy of a word, but that's kind of a, a better way of describing it, maybe. It's collaboration and also even just taking the time for, I mean, I sp- still spend a lot of time thinking about what big strategy should be. But but I, I spend time and set aside that time. I think everybody should say, like, how, you know, like, I'll use Tiffany and my team. How can I grow her and her team? Like, they've, they're all just finishing up. Uh, a customer success management certification, actually the second level of that they've been going through. Is it does it impact their job today? No, but but it'll impact their jobs in the next twelve months and the next five years. Hopefully they'll stay with us. But it's like she didn't come to me with that. I I thought through. I heard what she where they were struggling with. I took the time to go figure out where some different options I thought would be good, and then I actually let her choose. Where, where do you think would be best of these options to help grow for you to grow your team? Most bosses won't do that. And like, like a boss will tell you what to do. A leader is going to come to you and say, hey, here's some options I've thought about proactively to help your team grow, to help you grow. What do you want to do? 
and it'll be a conversation. Yeah, you, it's important that you what you just brought up is the difference between managers and leaders or bosses and leaders. Managers and bosses kind of the same thing. It's kind of it's kind of a low level word in a funny way, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's sort of, uh, you know, it doesn't connote, uh, I, I don't think that it's a big word, like the word leader. Leaders have gravitas. And, you know, gravitas is kind of a, a cool thing. It's bigness. It's, it's, you know, that when you walk in the room, it's that it factor that you bring with you. Yeah, I, I view like, you know, if, there, if there's actions to be done, in a, you know, in a checklist, and then everything comes down to the actions people are doing. The boss is the one that's made, the, the, a boss or a manager they're either getting that list from somebody else and making the team do it, or they're putting down 99 to 100 of the 100 items on that list, where a leader says, look, here's the outcomes we're trying to suggest. Here's 30 of the 100 items. Help me figure out the other 70 we need to put on here. And we may figure those out together as we go forward. That That's the difference between like, I, I mean, for me, I've hired managers and there's a place for them and things. It tends to be more like on a factory line to me, actually. Like, like that's a good place. But um, but on the other hand, it's like the leader is going to say, like, look, I know where we're going. I'm going to help set that mission. I'm going to understand what your personal mission is. And and then, like, let's figure out the the best things to do that. And so, like, you know, in the in this modern day, you know, we use agile marketing, agile product development. Leaders tend to be agile. They always have been because they're, they know they're going to pivot. I can point to the mountaintop we're going to go to and keep pointing to it. But do I know the exact path that's going to get us there? No, I can tell you the next couple of steps, and then we're going to figure out winding over the river and the hill as we go go do that journey together. Yeah, no, that's that's a good way to put it, and and the way we think about it. So, whereas most people are busy turning, uh, you know, uh, managers into leaders, you know, we take those leaders. I mean, this is my this is my thing. We take those leaders and we turn them into advantage players. We take them and make them the top one percent. Yep. so that they can squeeze an extra point or two out of their productivity. I mean, you take the best people and you squeeze another point or two out of them, bam, that's that's magical. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. I love people like you that that take the, that that take those really top performers and make them better. I I, te- I I love doing that when I can. I I love finding that uh, the underdog, the undeveloped talent that um you can sniff out a lot of times when you go in a room that there's super high potential. But 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 nobody's ever given them a chance. They haven't coached them. They've had managers before. Um, like heck, I look at things like a company named Victor that we sold to Oracle. Our number one inside salesperson, so different than outside. Our number one salesperson. He was a manager at Taqueria before we came, before before we hired him, and he was by far the number one inside salesperson, like in numbers, um, because he just like that's how, how who he was and how he showed up. But it's like who would hire for us a. a Pretty expensive software company, a manager of Taqueria to go sell software. But I actually, not, he's one of two people that I've hired out of. I think that might be my superpower. Go find a manager at a, at a producing Taqueria and hire them for <laughs> software. I don't know why, but that recipes that worked worked at least twice for me. I don't know. Maybe that's your maybe that's your uh, maybe that's your advantage play. You know, is yeah. the, the idea of finding a uh, you know, the manager of a Taqueria, you know, turning him into a into a, a top producing inside sales guy. That's awesome. Yeah. So what uh, what are some other things that uh, you know when you talk about servant leadership? What are some other things that are happening? You know, for some of us older guys, what 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 distinguishes servant leadership from from anything else? Well, I think it depends on who you talk to. I mean, so many people that I talk to, it's like I'm a big fan of servant leadership. I tend to come in like from a keynote perspective or companies, 
And I, 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 I have a different term. I say high achieving servant leadership only because most books, most people that talk about servant leadership, they're doing it because they, they feel like it's just the right thing to do, the right way to treat people. And I think it is. And from a faith, if a faith perspective leads you there, if something else leads you there, that's great. But, but I, I really believe, and from my experience in dozens of company, high growth companies, if you want to, if you want real numbers to hit the bottom line, like treating people well, finding out how to serve your team, serve your customers and love on your employees. I, I hands down, I can grow a company faster and higher than anybody, any authoritative leader can um, by, by approaching things from that servant leadership perspective. And people are just now starting to wake up to, wait a second, there's dollars here. And I love it when that goes off in somebody's heads because I can go in almost any church or synagogue and talk about servant leadership and people are like, yeah, that's a good idea. But I can go into a chamber of commerce anywhere in the country and talk about what my numbers look like at company after company, or I can go to any VC portfolios company and talk to them. And I go, this is what you were looking at before. And this is what we've implemented when we changed leadership style. And people that they have no faith background, their only God is making money. They go, I like that stuff. That that sounds like a better way to lead my team. Let's go try that. And 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 that warms my heart because, I mean, we all like making money. But but my I really believe in serving people. And so, hey, if that authoritative, you know, leader or boss before was driving his team in a way that was just burning people, I've been that person. I've had a wake of destruction and I've 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 been part of causing divorces because I keep people at the office so many times. Man, that like that hurts if you actually think back to to what you've done to people. Yeah. You know, um another thing that um that kind of comes to mind for me is there are a lot of, you know, you were talking before about, uh, you know, you have to love on your people. You have to, you know, care about your people. There are a lot of bosses that say, look, I give you, I give you a paycheck. That's me showing you love. That's me being good to you. So you can take care of your family, you know? And, and, you know, and if you don't like my personality and my style, you know, Hey, look, I'm really sorry. Go get a paycheck from someone else. But I mean, I mean, don't you see a lot of people kind of mistake money for all the other stuff. And, and by the way, there are a lot of people that substitute the other stuff for money and that, you know, that also doesn't work that great. So, you know, what's the happy medium here? Well, I, I mean, money's great. I mean, we need it for our families, society runs, but uh, people, people feel appreciated in many different ways. I mean, some, I mean, I've had people on my team before. I mean, I'm a words of appreciation person. Like if you could write me a slightly bigger check, bonus check, or you could spend some time in me with me and tell me specific things that I've done, I'm going to thrive in the words more than I would a $5,000 check. And so I know that about myself. And so most people, they don't necessarily think it that way. And they're like, the person you're talking about where it's like, look, I I give them, I give them a paycheck. That's great if you are running the taqueria, if you have hourly workers, because you're paying them for 40 hours, you're paying them for 35 hours. That's great. But but from a salesperson, the, the, the gentleman I mentioned that was the manager of taqueria, you know, why was he so great? Because everybody else went home. He went out to the bar and he came back to the office afterwards because he was like, well, I'm single. I love my company. We had a boss named Reggie, uh, a leader named Reggie at the time. And he goes, I love Reggie. And as I'm coming back from, I'm coming back from hanging out, Europe's waking up. And so he would start calling Europe. And he, so he would call customers. We didn't, I mean, we gave him a salary and he got commission. Like, that's what I want from marketers. That's what I want from engineers. I want them to, to see the purpose and know that like showing up, 
giving it their all, not just half-assing the job, is going to have an impact. And somebody who only writes you a check, that's not a purpose most people care about nowadays. Well, so so the flip side of just write you a check, you want them to give it their all. What about this quiet quitting phenomenon? I mean, how do we correct that problem? You know, you got people that are sleeping at the switch and now you got this like, uh, what is it? To take it easy Tuesday and, uh, you know, do only part of your work on Monday. And I mean, they, I mean, oh. the, the bottom line is do the least you can possibly do and get away with it and still get a paycheck. And that's the new that's the new standard. Servant leader, implementing servant leadership. If if your if you and your company truly embrace it, quiet quitting will not exist at your company. Um, and and with that, like I'm actually a huge proponent of of completely remote, full time team. I work with a large public company that's never had offices, and it's exceptional. And if somebody in my team they have a doctor's appointment, they want to pick up their kid from school, go do it. Like, like I don't track hours. I track results and things. Like, I'd be surprised if anybody on my team works only 40 hours. They're, but the outcome from them is way more than if I was tracking hours and putting it down. And because to your point, like, there's no quiet quitting when a gentleman on my team wants to go pick up his daughter from, you know, daycare. Um, okay, go pick her up. That hour he's going to take during the middle of the day from two to three, he'll make up later. And he's not going to go to some company that forces him to come to an office and would make him count PTO if he wanted to take that time. Like for me, from a certain perspective, I'm wanting results for the company and I'm acknowledging that he's a whole person. That's, that's, you know, he'll, those people will show up for me day in and day out. Quiet quitting goes away. We, we, um, in our recent, our recent trend report, we talk about uh, measuring uh, output, not input, Absolutely, which is sort of what you're talking about. What are, what are some ways that companies can measure output? Like what? What do you see in companies measure? Like uh, certain jobs, is easy. If you sell, if you do this, I mean, certain jobs, it's it's pretty easy to tell. A lot of other jobs, not so easy to tell. So, how do you measure output? What What do you look at? It depends on the role. I mean, I, I, I'm actually I'm, I can't. I'm not sure I could find a job where I can't find things that we're tracking. We do try to track to OKRs much more, so outcomes and key results, as opposed to just like, hey, like. If it was somebody doing social media, how many social media posts did you put out? No, at the end of the day, we're all trying to reach outcomes for that. Um, but I track much more to outcomes on people. And then while we do track a lot of a lot of other things, like I'll go to go through a customer support team and we track how long do you take on support tickets, how many times touch points do you have? All those things matter, but the, but we don't use them as a way to optimize towards those because I'm trying to get successful customers. So it's like. So some people will go to me like, "Oh, I need you. I need to know how many tickets you close out on a, on a weekly basis." I'm like, I, I don't care how many tickets you close out. I care about how many happy customers you have at the end of the week. And so, I we both track the same numbers, but but one we I use to push down the time, and usually people will click close on a ticket even though the customer still has a problem. So you get three tickets instead of one. But I track those numbers and I use it for discussions and coaching people. Hey, your numbers are kind of high. Why? And then. Funny enough, if you do that, like with the customer success team, you'll find bugs in software that the engineering and product team need to solve. And the only reason you found it because you actually took the time to learn why they're interacting with people so much. The same thing works for facility teams where you go through and go, hey, where are we spending time? Um, and so in, in some cases, like there's always grunt work we have to do, but we can track that. Um, a little bit of accountability is a fully remote team. We use uh, something called GeekBot in Slack. Everybody basically posts at the end of the week, 
Here's what I got accomplished. Here's what I'm working on next week. Everybody in the company sees it. What um when when you when you give people those kinds of uh, parameters or you give people those kinds of ideas, um, how do they respond? I mean, I, I mean, have you seen people how they respond in kind of the old fashioned environment? And have you seen how they kind of respond in the new environment? I mean, like, you know, what, what do you notice about people's behavior, their attitude, how they show up? I mean, I mean what, what's your personal experience? It depends. Um, I, and I say that of like, you know, I, 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 in the last couple of years, I hired somebody that came from a much more micromanagement uh, kind of style that that was their style as well. And when, when I brought them into this coach approach, I didn't, I didn't, you know, really get onto them for getting something accomplished or not accomplished by Friday. Like they floundered. Like it was, it, it didn't feel, it, it didn't feel, it wasn't what they were used to. I mean, they've been working, I mean, they, they were seasoned, let's say. And so they'd always had that boss that at some level, even though they were an executive was micromanaging them. And so I had to really step in and and, and coach differently and, and acknowledge, God, I gave them a little bit too much flexibility in the first nine months. And I needed to, to be a lot stronger in my direction for them. But in most cases, um, so I think be aware of that, but most people, they respond really well. But I I mean, it's rare for me to find somebody who's only had good leaders in the past. Like almost everybody, you will uncover PTSD that they have from a past company. And and so depending on where those triggers are, like you may have had a great response with somebody for six months or six years. And some PTSD is going to get triggered when you show up in a way to them and you're going to go, what the hell just happened? Well, so it's like people don't always show up well, but it's also we use wording like that. We allow people to say, hey, Kurt, you're showing up like an asshole today. I'm just trying to be passionate. They're like, let's dial it down a little bit. And so you know, when um, I was uh, when I was a youngster, I started at Pricewaterhouse, very hierarchical kind of environment. Uh, very, um, you know, it, it was a it, it actually wasn't male dominated. By the time I got there it was about 50 50 men and women. But at the top, it was all men. You know, there, I think there was one female partner, and she was a she was a killer lady. She had to be in order to survive. She was really tough. She was a great partner. But um, I really realized, and it was very fraternity style. You know, like there was like all these little rituals. You know, you kind of had to go through, and you got you know. I mean, it just it was a rough environment. It's changed a lot since then. It's not like that anymore. Any of those uh, big firms. But one of the things that I remember is, gee, I don't like that. I don't like being treated this way. I'm not going to do that in my future. But it seems to me that that's not how human beings mostly, mostly act. Most of them, well, I was treated this terrible way. So I'm going to treat you this terrible way. Um, I got beat as a child. So I'm going to beat you as a, you know, I don't, I don't really understand why human beings do that. Instead of saying, I didn't like this. So I'm not going to perpetuate this part of the cycle. I don't, I don't know why not, but, but that's what I did, you know, in my style. I, I, a lot of people I kind of do did the that. opposite. In, in some cases, I mean, PwC was so, it was so successful for years as was, you know, Deloitte and others. And it's like, I think a lot of times we go, I don't like this, but the company, the department, the the project was successful. And so you follow what's successful, what, what you believe is the way that to find success. Um, but I think the other part is like hurt people hurt hurt other people often in the exact same way. And if you don't haven't taken the time to process it and and, and realize what's happening, like in how you were treated and what does that look like? And have somebody tell you, 
and show you that there's a different way. That's why I'm working today because I've been that boss that you're talking about and I lead differently. And I could write any book that I want. I could do I have many keynotes and it's not going to change nearly as many people's lives as if I actually, you know, help lead a 20 person team and they get to see what things look like. And we walk together through healthy confrontation as an example. Like, yeah. like you can't, you can have a chapter in healthy confrontation, it's completely different than getting two people in the room and basically being a marriage counselor for different departments that are just toxic to each other. You know, I think part of the reason why, um, you know, why people, uh, you know, well, for example, where like at Price Waterhouse, why the environment changed so much is with the influx of a lot of women into the environment, the way that they did it before was just completely socially unacceptable. And so even though it was, you know, kind of a long time ago, like 30 or 40 years ago, um, I think bringing new people into the workforce, you know, in, in a in a big, big way really changed what was possible in that environment. And that really forced culture to change there. And and maybe there are other dynamics happening now that are forcing change. In fact, there probably are. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, another one of the things I hire for, which I think, you know, it's kind of what you're alluding to is I love hiring people with the, with, with different opinions. I mean, diverse backgrounds because like we're going to approach things differently and, and we don't always have to be friends. I had a woman I worked for for years. We took a company public together. About three or four years into working together, she and I, actually, it was difficult enough at work. We acknowledged other people hung out socially. We would never hang out socially. But I would say that working with her, she was one of my favorite people to work with because I would come up to a problem at a table and she would come up from the exact opposite side and we would ha have this, it wasn't always healthy conversation, but she had such a different approach to almost anything than me. The output from us, like having to solve it together was, was incredible. And as if it was the same person, like, gosh, I worked, lived in Chicago for 10 and a half years. At one point we had to go to HR and go, please stop hiring Motorola, past Motorola people and stop hiring people from Chicago's GSB from the school, uh, from uh, school because they thought the exact same way. Well, that doesn't help your team when you have three people that are trained to work through a business case the same way. I want three completely different backgrounds. And so that's, I mean, that changes environments too, because like, I mean, you hire somebody from McKinsey back, you know, that worked at McKinsey in the eighties and nineties, yelling was status quo. Good morning might've had F-bombs in it. That's not yeah. them now, but, but that was their culture for a while. Well, I'll tell you, um, I, I think from that perspective, that's the kind of diversity that we need. We we talk about diversity; it's kind of taken on a different uh, a different meaning, you know. Which is uh, not necessarily, I think, uh, I think that's important. But I also think that uh, diversity of thought and opinion is is critically important. And that's maybe you know why we need to have all different kinds of people is because ultimately uh, it makes us better. But uh, if you had to kind of frame all this material that we've discussed, if you had to take all the stuff, everything we've just put together here in this uh, really interesting interview, what's your advantage play? What's the killer strategy that you employ that just makes you and your business better than everybody else's? Helping guide people through healthy confrontation. We touched on it a few times. Man, so often things come up with, uh, with between teams, individuals, and and like things that should be should should be addressed either early so that it's not a big toxic confrontation or when it's a critical thing you're selling a company you're having to split software architectures and devops isn't talking to product and they have to talk but they hate each other in that moment 
I have just this skill about being able to bring people, listen to where they're actually at and, and bring them through in a way that, that, that they're able actually to have conversations and find, find a path for us to do what we need to do. Cause without that, like somebody almost has to leave. Okay. Well, listen, so, uh, so, so getting people through confrontation, that's the killer strategy. That's, I mean, ultimately if people can talk that people can solve every other problem, I guess that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. And, and so much of that is like bring up to people that like, like there's no way if, if you want to not have confrontation, you need to not ever talk to another human. Like, the, like there's always confrontation on anything. If I say, Hey, where do we want to go for dinner tonight? Like we wait, if we talk about it now, it's different than if we wait until one minute before we're walking out the door and like, well, we got to go eat. Like, so it's like when those things are there, teaching people, like there's always confrontation. The co- point is how do we have it healthy? And it often means having it early and people, we often hide from confrontation. And so you got to create that space where people feel comfortable bringing stuff up. Yeah, I, I, I like it. I think that's a, that's a great advantage play. And uh, thanks for sharing that. Well, you know, the theme of the show is really the, uh, the inside track, the best, smartest, or fastest way to get anything done. And you have delivered that. And when people deliver it, uh, we call those people advantage players. And that makes you an advantage player. And I thank you for being a friend of our show and contributing, uh, you know, to our audience. Really, really do appreciate it a lot. And I think what you brought to the table is just fascinating. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, good. We'll, uh, we'll look forward to having you stay a friend of the show. You've been listening to Your Advantage Play with your host, Joel Block. To learn more about how to work with Joel and cultivate your own high-limit advantage plays, visit theadvantageplayer.com. Subscribe to Your Advantage Play wherever you get your podcasts.